chapter 22, we're looking at the last paragraph of the Bible where the Lord makes a very strong statement. We see that uh, the Bible, uh, he makes a very strong statement. He says, I, Jesus. So this is his revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ that starts off in in the book of Revelation chapter 1. And uh, we see that now he concludes it with saying, this is my revelation that I gave to John. Um, Actually, verse 16 is the first time that we see the term churches used since chapter 3. Why? Because the things, remember the outline, the things which you have seen, chapter 1, the things which are the church or the churches, chapters 2 and 3. And after these things, beginning chapter 4, verse 1, all the way now to now the churches are mentioned again because the church is in heaven. And, of course, we've seen uh, how that uh, the Battle of Armageddon and all that will not involve the church other than the fact that we'll be witnessing it because we'll be coming with the Lord as he comes to rule and reign for a thousand years. And so... Now we see the Savior's address in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. And remember, John fell down at the angel's feet and the angel said, get up. That's one reason you don't pray to angels, you don't worship angels, you don't seek angels, you seek the Lord Jesus. And he'll send his angels to watch over us. Angelity, angelotry is a concoction of man. We don't pray to St. Christopher, or we don't pray to uh, the Virgin Mary, and we don't pray to Michael or Gabriel. Uh, We might have a guardian angel, but I don't see that in the Bible. Uh, If I do have guardian angels, I hope the Lord's got about 100 of them for me. But uh, there again, we see that uh, the focus is not on angels. The focus, or they're just messengers. The focus is not on saints. Although we do look at what saints have done, but we don't worship them. The focus isn't on Mary. The focus is on Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And of course, that's true for the book of Revelation as well as the entire Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And we know that he was a creator and he's a sustainer of all the things that exist, uh, Colossians 1.16. And so we see that he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Now here's another point of doctrine. I am the root and the offspring of David. Okay, now what does that tell us? What race of people did the Lord Jesus come from? The Jew. So here you have the Old Testament. So you have the church as well as the Jew. The Jew and the Gentile are with the Lord Jesus. Those who Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He was saved by his faith. And so we see he's a root in the offspring of David. And just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at if... Um, or, or we looked in Psalm, anyway, Psalm 110. How could he be the root and offspring of David, human, and yet be Lord? And so how could he be both uh, a son of David, and yet David calls him Lord? Because it seems like it'd be the other way around. 
But yet the reason we know is because of what? The incarnation. The Lord, the word became flesh and became lower than the angels. In other words, he came down on our level and took upon him the form of a servant. And of course, uh, that was, uh, and he was from the root and offspring of David. And that's the reason the New Testament starts off with the root and offspring of David. It goes back uh, and shows us how that David's line produced the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that in the Old and New Testament. So it says, I am the root and offspring of David. And then we have a term that notice he says, I am the bright and morning star. <clears throat> now, th- we first saw that and we looked at that back several, I guess, a couple of months ago now when we were in the book of Numbers. And we looked at that strange character and one of the strangest characters in all the Bible named Balaam. And remember Balaam, he would come and he was paid to curse Israel, but uh, the Lord put his words in his mouth and he blessed Israel time and time again. But in Numbers twenty four seventeen, Balaam prophesied a star would rise out of Jacob. The morning star, usually Venus, is the, bright, the brightest star in the dawn of a new day. And so... Uh, of course, uh, when you see the, that morning star, think of the Lord Jesus. He's a bright and morning star. A new day's coming, folks. And so he's called the morning star. You'll see that term used, morning star, Baptist church, or a different, uh, I think there's a mutual fund named morning star, but they're not, you know, they're not necessarily Christian. But uh, we see that uh, he's a bright and morning star. First uh, Peter, or Second Peter, chapter 119, he uses the term. He says, we also have a more steadfast prophetic word to which you do well to take heed as a lamp um, shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. So, of course, we're talking about something that is material as well as something that is spiritual. And, of course, he is identif- Peter is identifying Jesus Christ as the true morning star. And so when you see that morning star getting up in the morning, that is not Jesus Christ and don't worship the stars. But it's like the Lord Jesus Christ who rises in your heart. When morning gills the skies, may Jesus Christ be praised. Isn't that interesting? The morning star, you know, you think about it. Well, so who do you praise? You praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's the bright and morning star. And uh, isn't it interesting how that uh, scripture is so um, is so intertwined? And you'll see these little terms like this. They'll appear like with Balaam or Peter. Then they'll disappear and boom, right there, the very end. There it is again, you know. And so we see that uh, all the way from the Pentateuch to, the, to this point here, we see that Jesus is the morning star, but he also, what is he? He's the light of the world. A new day is coming. And one day... We won't need Venus and we won't need the sun because he will be the light. And the light will come from the temple of God because he is the temple of God. And so we see all that earlier in uh, chapters 20 and 21, all the way through chapter 22 of, um, uh, of the book of Revelation. So we see now... Uh, we see the address, the identity of our Lord, and of course, this is his revelation. But then also we see the, 
We said that we, last week we looked at God's final call, um, as he calls everybody to salvation. But now that invitation again is there. He says, uh, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Now, here he's talking about the Lord Jesus. And he's talking to the churches. Who's the spirit? The Holy Spirit. And who's the bride? That's us. So what is our message? Come to the Lord Jesus. We don't say, well, you don't say go to church. We say come to church. We don't say, uh, you know, go out and, well, anyway, just the idea is always come. It's interesting, all the way back to the ark where Moses, or excuse me, not Moses, Noah went into the ark. Uh, a lot of times we put Moses in the ark uh, whenever we talked fast. But uh, Noah, if you go back and the two, now there's a couple of uh, translations that, that don't get it right, but that term is a very strong word. It doesn't, it, the Lord doesn't say go into the ark. He says come into the ark. Where's the Lord Jesus? He's in the ark. And so when we see come to church, what are we saying? Where's the Lord Jesus? We sure hope he's here with us, right? Come, First uh, John chapter 1, we desire to have fellowship with you. But truly, our fellowship is with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, verses 3 and 4. So, yes, we want to have fellowship. Anybody, whosoever will, may come. We want you to come. Well, my, you have all these people. Do you realize that old drunkard came to your church last week? Well, yeah, praise the Lord, he came to church. Now, if he's a deacon, that's a different problem. But, you know, there again, everybody is welcome to church. We want it to be that way. I mean, we'll see that this morning. Um, where these things weren't done in a corner, what Paul told, uh, uh, told uh, Agrippa. In other words, Agrippa, you saw all these things. Christianity is very open. You know, as contrast, I was hearing something about, uh, uh, was it Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, one, one of those guys, as part of the uh, Church of the Scientology. And they say, when you go into, the, they were talking about that you go into that, it's kind of an ornate building, but the deeper you go into that building, the more mystic and more mysterious and weird it becomes. And then all of a sudden, you get to start taking all these secret vows and all that. Hey, listen, folks, there's no secret vows here. It's just as I am without one plea. Come on and let's get publicly saved and publicly proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are certain things in the church we don't share um, secrets as far as hurting people. We're not here to uh, destroy people's... T- uh, and we'll have people come to church with all kinds of backgrounds, and sometimes I'm the only one who knows about it. But that's the way it's going to stay, unless, you know, there's something that's needed to be told. I've had people uh, that have been uh, all kinds of... Sin- uh, people with abortions, people with uh, uh, that came from drugs. I had a, a person who was a wino that uh, nobody knew about, but uh, we were work- you know, working... That person is, I think... Living for the Lord today, but now not here. But there again, all these different things that people don't need to know about. But as far as what we do need to know about, that's what we want to preach. And so, again, you know, whosoever will. And when we say that today, my, we're talking about a lot of deep, dark sins, are we not? But the deep, dark sins should be in the heart, not in the church. And so the more you get into the church, the more they shouldn't become darker, it should become brighter. Amen. He's a bright and morning star. And so we see that he says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let all who hears, come. 
And let him who thirsts come. And that's why we're talking about in prayer meeting this morning. Lord, you're going to have to create a thirst. People get saved when they realize they need something that's outside of them. And so, Lord, right now we're footloose and fancy free. We, uh, if we have any problems, we'll just get on the Internet or whatever, and we'll just blow our just let our minds drift away into la-la land, into cyberspace or whatever else. And we, we, won't, we avoid the major problems. And unfortunately, I see a lot of men doing that. Uh, I'm talk, I talked to a 40-year-old man this past week, not married, he just, he needs a good worker and all that, but everything he has just goes into his little pay toys and internet and all that. And what a of life. I mean, he's not investing his life into family or anything, just coasting along. And folks, uh, that's sad. And so, you know, God's got to create a need uh, in hearts. And I think uh, that day, I mean, we, we want to see America turn back to God. I think God's got to hit us with a sledgehammer for that to happen. I don't want it. I mean, I love my air conditioning. I love my car. I love my wife, you know, and all those good things. Uh, I love the fact that I have a, a, a air conditioning for my wife to be in so she's happy and all this kind of stuff. I love all that stuff. You know, I love that I've got a little bit of money in the bank, just enough to buy a hamburger or two, you know, but uh, I'm not hurting. Aren't you glad of that? But, boy, I hope the Lord doesn't have to create a need for me to have to follow my needs. I, again, I like what my pastor's always said. My home pastor, 95 years old now. But he says, the Lord has to put us on our backs to keep us on our knees. And sometimes that's true, isn't it? And so we see that uh, whosoever thirsts, let him come. And whoever desires, let him Take the water of life freely. There it is. Uh, Openly, freely. That's our message today. Whosoever will, you can come. There's no dark places here. We want it to be light. And the lighter, I mean, we want you to brighten it up a little bit. Get saved and let, let us see what God does in your life as he turns you from darkness to light. And that's what it's all about. And so that's the blessed invitation that the church has. And so we see that uh, let him that is a thirst come. That's the great message. And of course, that's the message throughout eternity. Back in Isaiah 51 or 55 verse 1, he says, Ho, which is behold. This is the old King James. Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that has no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money. And without price, now, in other words, buy into it. Now, you can't do it. You know, the things that we offer are free. Salvation is free. Um, recently, we had a visitor who said, well, I didn't bring any offering this morning. And uh, I think uh, uh, Dominic was with me. And I said, hey, listen, if you ever feel pressure to give here, then uh, don't. And I, that's what I always tell people. I say, it's free. Now, what's going to happen is God will... Now, if you feel pressured from the Lord, that's one thing, but not from me. So that's a call of the Lord. And so everything we have here is free. My counseling is free. My uh, whatever, you know, uh, is free. Uh, We want to give the word of God out to the people. He says, seek ye the Lord in uh, Isaiah 55, 6. By the way, after we get through the book of Acts, which will be probably the next two or three weeks, I'm going to look at the salvation messages in the book of Isaiah. 
boy, does he preach strong messages. And so we're going to look at uh, not the whole book of Isaiah, but just go through the book of Isaiah and examine those great salvation messages. And, of course, he begins with uh, the idea, with the message, you know, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. And when we reason with the Lord, we don't make bargains. And so, you know, right there, hey, listen, I'm going to get saved and, because I want to add God to my life because, I, you know, I need him. Well, no, it's more than that. You've got to realize it's just as you are without one plea. So when you come to the Lord, you don't make bargains. You come to him humbly and totally giving your life to him. And so, uh, so we see that uh, he says, there again, that's a... That's a bad, I'll be talking about that in Sunday school or in church. One of the hardest books in the Bible to preach is the book of Acts. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because it's so, it's so much narrative. And because the narrative is filled so much, with so much doctrine. But if you preach the doctrine, then you'll bore the people to death. I mean, because it's, it's an action book. So you have to preach the the action, and then realize that the doctrine is tied to the other books of the Bible, to the book of Ephesians. You know, and, and we go, anytime we go to the epistles, we go back to the book of Acts to find out where we're coming from and uh, who he's uh, talking to and all that. And so um, it's very difficult sometimes to preach narratives because, because it's uh, so, got so much doctrine in it. And so uh, it's... Uh, We'll look at that this morning. Of course, I preached on the three trials of Paul, and uh, of course with Felix, and then with uh, Festus, and now we'll be looking at uh, Agrippa and Bernice today. Very interesting people. And yet, uh, Paul just fills that message he has full of doctrine. But if we concentrate on all the message, and we'll forget about uh, Bernice and, and and Agrippa, so you know, and their decision that they made for the Lord. So it's one of those things where, in a forty-minute message, how much do you put in there without overloading your people or boring them to death? And so it's one of those things that uh, we'll look at. But he says, the Spirit didn't say bright to come. He says, let him who thirsts come. Whosoever desires, let him take of the word freely. Now again, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone, now this is John, if anyone adds to these things, uh, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And so we see um, the, um, that he says, if anyone, so you got on your notes in the back, uh, to the one who hears, let him come, and that is the thirst. And, of course, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then, of course, we could take of the water of life freely. And where does that come from? Where do we hear the water of life? Remember the woman at the well? Whosoever believes in me, out of him shall flow rivers of living water. The water of life. And then it's mentioned throughout. And, of course, living water is running water. So the stern warning, though, and this is... Where we see, woe to the foolish prophets. You have all kinds of things out there today where uh, they want to tell us about, 
what they vision. Folks, we see that the Bible says now that you don't add to it. Now, I might look and say, uh, you know, God can do this in Israel or God can do it, but I don't have the sure word of prophecy. The sure word of prophecy is here. I cannot tell you what's going to happen to the United States. I cannot tell you that God told me that Israel is going to whoop the Middle East tomorrow. I can't tell you that. I do. I can tell you that uh, that uh, God is not going to forsake his people and you don't mess with Israel. <laughs> you know, uh, I can't, but I don't know how he's going to do it. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the next election. Although you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, how do people say that they were led? Well, we go through that before again. And that is, how did I know that I was led here? Well, for one thing, I knew that God wouldn't let me alone as far as preaching. And then I had to go through just waiting on God as far as, okay, Lord, you close these doors. And, um, well, I don't boy, it's a long, long story. I've told you about how that we, Judy and I were down next to nothing. And we were living in a little cottage that a lady asked us to live in so that she didn't, because of some of the laws that are there, she had to have somebody live in it or her insurance and everything else would skyrocket. So we lived in this little college by, a cottage by uh, the reservoir north of Flint, Michigan. And I remember going down there saying, I don't have the foggiest idea what the Lord was going to do it. I never forget going down there one morning and just sitting there and looking at that placid water on that big reservoir. And guess what popped in my mind? He leadeth me beside the still waters. And all of a sudden, so the Lord reveals himself by that. And shortly after that, I got a call from Brother Nelson asking me if I would come over to Illinois. Is there any good thing that comes from Illinois? You know, <laughs> or Nazareth or whatever. But I said, Illinois, man, I'm a Southerner. I want to go back south. I don't want to stay up here in Michigan or Illinois. That's even whatever, you know. But I came over here and, you know, there again, the Lord led uh, so when you're in the will of the Lord, he has ways of putting people in your life and then people that, re, that will show you or that will, well, <laughs> how do you put it? Anyway, uh, there was a kind of a love connection between me and the people in this church. I mean, just all, you just sensed it. But I cannot tell you that God told me from heaven before I got here that uh, this is where God wanted me. I can't tell you that. I could tell, boy, I really, but so God leads through his word. He leads through circumstances and he leads through God's people. Isn't that the way it usually works? Now, uh, so we see that, uh, that God leads us along. And now I'm praying, you know, Lord, what is the will of your, your will for this church? And it's amazing how that, I mean, we can never take that for granted. And again, Every time that I uh, start getting a little uh, antsy about it, I just told you last week we just had a minor miracle with the rent. I mean, I was, all the month of August, I was wondering what in the world is going to happen. I was looking around for a different place and all that, and then I told you how it worked out. I mean, those are things that, folks, I have, you know, the Bible tells me to be anxious for nothing. I break that so many times, I'm still not there yet. <laughs> You know, Lord, help me. I'm getting there. 
But uh, I sin against God by being anxious. But then again, I'm sure glad God is patient. But here we see that he says that uh, the plagues that are written in this book, so don't be careful those people who say that uh, they know that a hurricane is going to hit here, you know, tomorrow or whatever. It might, but then a clock is right at least twice a day, if it, even if it stopped. And so we see that uh, he says, uh, is written in this book, if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, be careful. You know, one, one uh, good old Thomas Jefferson, uh, he wrote a book, uh, he wrote, he, he edited the Bible and he cut out all the miracles of the Bible because he didn't believe in miracles. Now, I don't know in his older age, I hope that Thomas Jefferson, I know both he and Adams mellowed, they hated each other, but then they they came back together and wrote some of the, the sweetest letters that were ever written between two ex-politicians. Uh, I mean, talk about nasty campaigns. When Jefferson beat Adams, that was a nasty campaign. But uh, they got back together, and both of them died on the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. You know, it's just kind of interesting how that was. But I sure hope, oh, but I sure hope he got saved during that time. But we see that he says the so he. But the thing, but he. He, took a, he didn't believe in miracles. Well, the greatest miracle of all is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, so you don't add to or take away from the prophecy of this book. Uh, he says, um, if you do, then God will take his part away from God. I mean, that's a very strong language. That uh, Now, again, we get into doctrine. Is he saying that if you were saved and then you took the book, if you took... Uh, Apart the book of life, then uh, you wouldn't, or that that you wouldn't be saved. You take your name out of the book. Is that what he's saying? You know, there's a, a question about that. Every the Lord knows everybody was ever born, or would be born. And did any of our name is in the book of life until he crossed them out? I mean, the people who didn't get saved. He's not willing that any should perish. So was it that whenever the person rejected God, that's when he took the name out? I'll tell you when I get to heaven. It's one of those things where, you know, but if a person, a person openly adds to or takes away from the book, from the word of God, then if they do it once, and all of us can do it unintentionally. Like I said, I could put Moses in the ark. Moses was in the ark. Noah was in the ark. You know, I could do all kinds of, things and twisting the Bible around. Uh, but, uh, but if I intentionally start taking things out of the Bible and say that didn't happen, be very careful. Because, and, oh, the Lord didn't really rise from the dead. That was something that the Essenes, they were the ones who uh, had the, they were the ones who lived up in those mountains and those, those caves, and they were the ones who had the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, that were later on discovered. <laughs> And, but they had wonderful, they were known for some of their medicinal things. They were good at medicine. And so what happened was they took the Lord and they, he went to the Essenes and they nursed him back to health. Now I heard a PhD from a major denominational school say that on radio before Easter. 
and he was just, he's writing a book, and, uh, you know, he was in one of these Larry King talk shows or whatever, you know, and all oh, that was so interesting, you know, oh, that's what, no, my friend, that man's on his way to hell. I don't care if he's a PhD or the, in theology or whatever, he doesn't believe in the miracle of the resurrection. He's got problems. He that hath the son hath life. And so, you know, again, we see that he says, uh, uh, God, he says, for take the prophecy out of this book, his part of the book of life, and from the holy city, he's not going to heaven, from the things which are written in this book. So uh, all the promises of salvation, they're all gone to those who reject the Lord and try to destroy the book. So this is a very strong warning. Warning In Deuteronomy, he says, Whatsoever I command you, you shall do. You shall not add to nor take away from it. And there again, the big problem with the Pharisees is they added so much to the law that it weighted people down, and the law became salvation rather than faith. Isaiah 66, 2 says, To a man, uh, to this man will look, even to him, that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. So we see it's only the people that accept his word and tremble at it or take it uh, for granted and fear of not obeying it. So God's final call, surely I come quickly. And of course, the next major event on God's calendar is what? Now he's talking to the churches again, all the way from now from chapter three back to the churches in the last paragraph. So he says, surely I come quickly. And of course, we know that's First Thessalonians chapter 4. What's the next event we're looking for? Um, Anna's birthday today is great. Uh, we're looking forward to different things coming up. We got things circled on our calendar. We got a, uh, a uh, Russian Jew coming to talk about the festivals and the Hanukkah and all that. Uh, uh, October 1st, I got that circled. I got it in the bulletin. But... Uh, God's got his date circled when he's coming again, and nobody knows when it is. And so the next great event, as far as miracle is concerned, uh, as far as the church age, is coming to a close when the Lord is coming. And so then, so we say, he says, surely I come quickly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And so we see this is our prayer. And Notice he says, grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. There's the universal appeal. So we see that he says, I'm coming quickly. Uh, and our prayer is, uh, even so, come. I was talking to a man yesterday, or Friday, I went to lunch with him. Uh, he goes to a different church, but he's a little dissatisfied. I'm, not, I'm just asking God's will for his life. But uh, yeah, we were talking about, you know, the, it's getting so bad that God must come or judge us very severely quickly because the, the next generation with all the perversions going on don't have a chance. If they survive the womb, now they're going to survive the classroom. You know, and kids are poor little old boys. They don't know whether they're girls or boys and their parents uh, can't say a thing about it. I mean, Lord, deliver us. I mean, deliver this generation. If he does, he might have to destroy the adults of this generation. I mean, we're getting bad. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now, like I said, I know that there's a couple of people that uh, don't want the Lord to come until they're married. I know all that. I pray it. <laughs> that's true. But at the same time, you know, that's our prayer. 
come, Lord Jesus. And he says, and the grace, and there it is, the grace. We want grace to everybody, don't we? Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We want everybody to be saved. And isn't that a great way to close the book? A stern warning, and yet a promise. He's coming again. He's coming for us. And he closes the book that way. Okay, any questions or comments about what we've looked at today?